get it, you know? It's it's the having your cake and eating it too thing. But it's like, what if you went so crazy with wanting to have your cake and eat it that you started trying to build a machine that could displace it from time? Just because you were worried your little memory wouldn't be good enough. It's just a fucking cake, man. Welcome to the Marmoset Chronicles, a personal retrospective, a podcast about the films and creative mind and world of one Laz Patillo. I'm Jay, and I'm joined as always by Kirsten. Hi, Jay. How are you today? Uh, I'm doing pretty good, Kirsten. How are you? Um, you know, I've had a weird week, Jay. <laughs> um, yeah? A <laughs> yeah. little bit? Yeah. Um, I don't mind sharing this with uh, the people listening. Uh, between the recording of last episode and this episode, I was furloughed due to uh, COVID. And, you know, ha- I'm, I'm having doing some sort of reassessing of my life because of that. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. And I'm trying not to keep all. it pretty positive and, you know, not to worry. I'm in a much better situation than a lot of people in a similar situation. Uh, so that's fine. And we don't need to talk about it anymore. Uh, what we, <laughs> we are going to talk about is this movie. <laughs> the Purgatory Bureaucrat. Yeah, you, you got furloughed. I moved in the midst of all this. I'm currently recording in a walk-in closet that does not yet have soundproofing up. So there's a bunch of pillows around me. We're having a time here at the Marmoset Chronicles this week, let me tell you. But it's it's transitions like this that we all must go through in our lives, just like uh, the transition Laz Patillo made in this movie when he decided that he wanted to film some scenes all in sepia, but we'll get to that. Oh, there's, there's so many fascinating things about this movie. Just... As a concept, just to hang the hat of your movie on the idea of temporal teleportation, like, that's <laughs> that's bold in and of itself. Right, yeah. And, you know, to kind of tell this story sort of piecemeal and simultaneously out of order and not out of order. I'm not we should quite say sure we're, how we're talking about the, pur- the Purgatory Bureaucrat. I don't know if yes. we said the name of the movie yet. Yes, we're talking about movie seven. The year is 1983. It's been a little bit longer than it normally is, and that'll happen again. For yes. various reasons. <laughs> we are now decidedly into the 80s. Ronald Wait, Reagan yeah. is president. Other 80s things are happening. The world has no idea what it's in for. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is either a thing or about to be a thing. <laughs> I don't really know. <laughs> The world has no idea what's coming in the rest of the 80s with the whole Reagan presidency thing or what they're about to get when they sit down to watch this movie. Or with the NES coming out, obviously, I'm just saying. That too. <laughs> I've seen if that, I've, I've seen if that would get any reaction from you whatsoever. I, I'll be totally honest. I have absolutely... You could have said any game console. I'd be like, yeah, maybe that came out in the 80s. That's valid. Yeah, no, the, the 80s were like when Nintendo became a known name over here. No one cares about that. If if you care about that... The, the, I, I'm, I'm, if you care about that, I'm happy to inform you there are a few podcasts about video games on the internet that you can already listen to. Uh, you don't want me... On an, a podcast about video games, I know next to nothing about video games. I would absolutely, I would actually love you on a podcast about video games for that exact reason. <laughs> I have played almost no video games, but we're getting off topic. Already. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So let's. I want to jump right into this. This I know is your favorite one of these movies, and it I know is. when when we talked about um, Diagnosis Aquamarine, my favorite. I definitely took the rails a little bit to you know to talk about why. Mm-hmm. And I would love to hear from you. I also really like this movie. Purgatory Bureaucrat okay. is great. It's it's not my favorite, but it's one of my favorites. Um, I would love to hear what makes it your favorite for you. 
on a purely like shallow aesthetic level, even when I, when I was a kid, I loved the way this movie looked. Mm-hmm. This was, I, I remember watching this and just being entranced by the colors and the way they change and the way they jump different palettes and different settings and just the camera work is out of this world. It's it's incredible. And I remember just watching this, even being like seven or eight and just like, you know, having my chin on my knees on my couch and just being like, ooh. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. That's a pretty important part of it for me. Another important part is honestly this, um, and I I truly believe this is one of the deepest running themes in this movie, is this idea of pursuit and or being chased. Sure, yeah. By what? We don't really know yet. But Mm -hmm. that sense comes back in this movie the character depth really comes back in this movie. And, and I, uh, even without all that background, uh, this, this hinged on a uh, pretty hefty thesis I wrote in a media and society class when I was Hell in college, yeah. when I was an undergrad. Hell uh, yeah! And I spent a lot of time with this movie and kind of developed my relationship with through it then, too. This whole idea that this weird, like, sci-fi-ish twist where all of a sudden, like, okay, we're teleporting. We're teleporting sure. everywhere. Why? Because we need to get away from something, or we need to catch up with something, or both. May, you know, or both. Like it, the best, some of the coolest parts of that movie. This movie is where like it makes you for a minute kind of forget which is happening of those two yes. things. Yes, and we don't really know in the lines between you know reality and George. Not not really fiction, but Georgie's mindscape. Mm-hmm. The blurring of that is just masterfully done. Yep. Um, if, oh, yeah. If anyone other than Laz Patillo did this, I think it would be hokey. Yeah, absolutely. It's that kind of like, the whole liminal feel of this movie really, really works for me. Well, definitely. I, I love movies and storylines and honestly art that takes advantage of those liminal spaces. One of my, um, a, a teacher I had when I was, um, when I was in high school uh, gave me, um, some of the, honestly, like, writing advice I still use to this day, which is that really good poetry and kind of abstract fiction is inherently operates in liminal parts of your mind. Mm-hmm. And that's just this movie for me. This movie is just like, this movie is a liminal space, and I like the way it makes me feel. Right, yeah, absolutely. So we, we should say um, some of the representation of that liminal space was done by the return of the animator who did that weird dream sequence from, um... From 4. From 4, yeah. I was trying to remember which one it was for a second. Um, which I, I just looked up because I, I think we said he went on to do some, like, Don Bluth stuff. Uh, his, mm-hmm. name is, his name is Michael Peraza Jr. You might also know him as the art director from Aladdin in 1992. <laughs> Are you serious? Yup, absolutely. He, this dude is born in 1955, so he is, you know, he, he's a journeyman. He's like, uh, let me do the map. Yeah, he, he'd be, like, on the cusp of 30 or whatever. He's, yeah. done, he's done a couple little things. He's not even, his, uh, his main Don Bluth thing is Anastasia. Which hasn't come out yet. That's 97. Or no, that's not even Don Bluth. Whoever that is, that's 97. He also did some art in The Lion King. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, like, with Don Bluth, he did, like, Thumbelina or whatever. Like, he's had a weird career. Uh, he did something in The Little Mermaid. Like, he's bounced around a lot between different studios. But yeah, he directed. And it's not all animation. Like, so, some of it is a yeah. clever use of bits of animation, but it's a lot of just 
really cool visual effects mm-hmm. and use of color too, like you were talking about in general. And I, I, I get the sense that he that that once he came back to work with lads in this movie, they synergized in a really good way here. Oh yeah, and I love that. So so this is I, I I ended up talking a lot about the aesthetic of this movie, yeah. and I didn't really talk about much much about what it's about. This is uh to kind of I guess balance out that kind of very high concept art house aesthetic that we've got going on. This is a rescue story. Yes. This is about Georgie rescuing Jean from something. Something that uh, changes shape in your mind several times over the course of this and the the final movie in in different ways. Yes. Sort of posthumously in the final movie. Uh, Yeah, it's... I... So, okay. I really like... The sort of, you know, the, the, for, the way antagonism and the thing doing the kidnapping in the abstract sense is presented in this movie in stride with the stuff you were just talking about mm-hmm. with that aesthetic. I think if, you know, if moments like, like, Laz Patillo has always had dreamlike moments and dreamlike elements in his movies. That's, a, we, we've talked about that, right? Yes. I think this is maybe, and, and the final one to some degree, but this, to me, is the best integration of that dreamlike quality into something that still feels, like, tactile and, like, it mm-hmm. has stakes, you know? Yes, I, I, yes. I think this is maybe the best he ever does that. I'd agree with that. And be, because this doesn't feel like, you know, a trippy music video, this yeah. feels grounded. The danger feels real. Yes, and this also, I think, brings back some of the ideas that Laz had played with unsuccessfully in the past. Like, I know when we were talking about uh, the fourth movie, we brought up that how so much of it was done just like recapping the movies that came before it. Mm-hmm. He, he kind of takes that idea, but instead of, you know, doing recap flashbacks, he pulls old antagonists. He pulls God. old wounds. This is where Paul Harris comes back for the first time. Yeah. Because that's that's the that's the face that this thing chooses to use. Yep. The most often. Yeah, it, it's it's the most common one. And mm-hmm. I, I love that what 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 I love about that is that you you question for so long whether it's because it knows who Georgie is and knows mm-hmm. that Georgie has a connection to that person. Or if, because we eventually find out, Gene also has a connection to that person. Yes. Like, what, what, the, the fact that they are long estranged siblings is a fucker of a reveal late in this oh, movie. Yeah. And it, it's so, like... Ugh. <laughs> there are not words, there's just that sound I just made, is how yes. I feel about that reveal. Absolutely. And this is, this movie has a lot of, like, peak moments of, like, X. So this, this, uh, this movie probably has, also has the best rope ladder callback. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'd agree with that. The rope ladder comes up in other movies before this one. We just, I don't think they've really come up in our discussion of the movies. Yeah. Because they're usually little throwaway lines and um, kind of like wink, wink, nudge the audience Mm -hmm. gags. No, it's plot relevant in this one. Yeah. 
Yeah, it, it is usually a gag like in uh, in the previous one where there's a scene where they walk in on Margot doing pull-ups on a rope ladder that's thrown over a beam. Yes, yes. <laughs> Which is one of my favorite images from that movie. Anyway. But but this is um this is like a plot point and yes. it's very much and, and it sort of takes on this like symbolic meaning of Georgie using his, the connections that he's made to others to drag himself through this weird teleportation warp that is his reality now. God, I love that. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I, I fucking love that. It, it's yeah. I, I like. And this is a thing that I wish you saw more in bigger franchises. Whether we're talking mm-hmm. about your Harry Potters or your Marvels or, I don't know, Star Wars, whatever. I really like seeing those very tactile representations of a main character learning from the encounters with, you know, whether it's other mm-hmm. protagonists or antagonists or whoever, along the way in a yeah. bigger story like that. It's, you know, it's one of the reasons I love Avatar The Last Airbender is that is very directly about that for a i don't know have you yeah. watched that show i have i actually okay, yeah. recently uh wa- read a few issues of the comic that continues Ooh. after it i gotta read those i've heard pretty good things but yeah i, I think like ang and i well no Korra's not really about this well no Korra also is i think both avatar and legend of Korra in different ways are really good representations of a protagonist who is learning from all their experiences over the course mm-hmm. of their journey. You get it, it's obvious with Aang. Like he's yes. learning the elements from, you know, first his crush and then this more difficult person who's kind of a neutral stranger. And then from Zuko, who is the first antagonist who yes. then turned turned hero. And from each of those, Aang gets not just, you know, ability growth, but also personal growth. Um have I, I don't, have you watched Legend of Korra? I have at all? not watched Legend of Korra. I was just honestly it's, never encouraged to. That's fair. I, I would encourage you to. I, I'll. It's it's less even than than Avatar, and that's because originally it was going to be one season, and then gotcha. it suddenly wasn't. <laughs> but so so Korra is less even. But Korra does another similar thing where instead of it being about that Avatar's students. Or uh, that Avatar's teachers teaching her things. It's more about what the different villains teach her. Uh, unlike unlike Avatar, Korra has a completely different villain each season. Um, I heard that, yeah. And, and they all kind of represent different things. Like one of them is very anarchy driven. One of them is very yeah. I heard like, that all of them are different political systems, pretty transparently. Yeah, and they do a pretty good job with that. I th- I think it falters in season two. Season two kind of generally stumbles, but overall they do a pretty good job of that. Um, mm-hmm. I would argue mostly in the final season. But anyway, Korra also learns a lot from those characters, both through, like, what does and doesn't work, and also through trauma she gets from yeah. some of them. And th- this long digression about, uh, about Avatar and <laughs> martial arts elemental shows, uh, all to say that I, I really like when a show, is when a, a, a text is able to really represent a character carrying things taught to them by the things along the way. Yes. And this, this movie does an excellent job of that with Georgie. Yes, and this is one of the first times, I think, in the Marmoset Chronicles, and it's incredible because this is movie seven, where Georgie is a willing and active participant in the, the actual narrative that's going on. Yeah, he's he's a hero in this one, maybe more than any other movie. I I mean, other than other than the Phantom and the Wren, which is you right. know his big yeah. reactionary act, um, action star movie, 
other than that, you know, in Obstacle Core, he's kind of, he kind of gets dragged along on that adventure. He, he's, he's kind of an unwilling participant in everything in Diagnosis Aquamarine. Yeah. In number four, that barely has a plot. Kind of the whole point of that movie is that there is, there's barely a conflict. There's barely right. a plot. Everybody right. in that movie is too passive. Yep. Uh, and, and, and the mountain came to them. He and Jean just sort of wander into the plot. Yes, and, you know, they don't really do anything heroic in there. They do a lot of reactionary things, but yeah. usually because stuff around them is causing it. I, I think the most heroic thing you can perceive from that one is that before, if you don't know for sure that the family isn't real, you might see he, uh, Georgie breaking into the basement as, like, a heroic going to save the family thing. And you even yeah. can still see it that way, maybe. that That's a digression, but yeah. Yeah, and then... And then Logica, again, is really kind of them observing this conflict that's actually going on in the town. Logica is just him running into his ex and having problems with her. I like Logica, but Logica is like, has very little, little like stakes for him other than I'm mad. Yeah, but, but then we have this, this movie, then we have Purgatory Bureaucrat, and we have, finally, for the first time since... The Phantom and the Wren, we have a reason for Georgie to go out and actively do a thing. And actively do a thing that, if he doesn't succeed, he loses the only human connection that has followed him between movies. His one friend, really, yeah. We, we lose Gene. Mm-hmm. And, honestly, that is such a good look on Georgie as a character. That's such a good look on Benjamin St. James. Benjamin St. James plays a great action hero. Oh, God, yes. Ooh, really quick. You know what? Mm. I, I, I stumbled on this um, this in like an article that's like, oh, like the top ten best casting choices that almost happened. Oh, boy. You know who Benjamin St. James almost played? Let me guess. Uh, Terminator. No. Old Wolverine. In, huh. There was apparently, like, before, um... In Logan? Or was No, like, they were, they were gonna, they were gonna do, um, at one point, uh, before, like, they really figured out what they were doing with the X-Men, they, like, they pitched a movie for just, like, the old man Logan comic book story. Huh, okay. And they wanted, like, Benjamin St. James for that role. Huh, I, I... I, uh, I was gonna say, I feel like he doesn't look grizzled enough, but you can grizzle that man up, I'm sure. I haven't seen oh, a yeah. lot of photos of him more recently, so who am I to say? Yeah, he, you know, he, he definitely looks his age, but um, sure. I, 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 um, I don't necessarily think that would have been a bad choice. That would have been weird, because the actual Old Man Logan comics are really weird, but... Uh, yes, they are, yeah. <laughs> um, and they were gonna do, from what I understand, a pretty faithful adaptation of that. So maybe it's good we didn't get that movie, but... I mean, we eventually got Logan, which is one of my favorite Which is better. Movies. I love that movie. <laughs> but, uh, that, him actively trying to go and do something good is such yeah. a, one of the best parts of this movie, honestly. Probably the yeah. strongest part of the arc. Yeah, a a absolutely. And, like, I, I love Georgie as a protagonist. There are, I think we talked about this last week, there are points where, you know, he doesn't always feel like... There are a lot of points where you have to look really closely to see the development in him. 
you know? Um, Just because he is a quiet protagonist. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and that's true even with what I was just saying about how cool it is to see a protagonist like that carry things they've learned with them. But this is where we see that the most. This is where we see Georgie saying, okay, I have to go do this. And like, yeah, we, 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 we are watching change in him happen in action through this whole movie. Uh, and you know, awesome. from, from when he first watches Gene be taken to like everything that happens around that, to how he sort of, starts to learn how Gene got taken and start moving through the same sort of systems of time fuckery that that were engineered by something so much bigger than him. I oh, yeah. I love I love so something they could have done that they don't do. <laughs> I love that after Gene gets taken. It's kind of just Georgie fucking around and trying to figure out this, like, metaphysical science for 15 minutes. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> he has to figure out how the fuck it ha- Like, he he starts to catch on. And again, this is another example, like, uh, the basement in um, The Mountain Came to Them, where it's this indication that Georgie maybe has some kind of sense of a deeper supernatural thing happening in the world around him. Mm-hmm. Um, because w- when Gene gets taken, like Georgie, there's shock and horror, but also Georgie's like pretty quickly hopping on the case of like, all right, he got taken somewhere where By I'm going to need to figure out a way to get to him through yeah. some pretty extreme means. And you know, it's not like he takes out a fucking Ouija board <laughs> or anything, but like, yeah, I, I like, so what I like about that, mm-hmm. in a different movie, he would have, like, met a crazy professor at a college who's like, yes, I have this theory about, you know, multiple dimensions, but no one here believes me. They all think I'm a kook. And then he'd be like, no, I believe you. And they'd go together. No, Georgie's on his own. <laughs> Georgie yeah. Georgie doesn't get another guy to help him. He's just trying to fucking MacGyver his way into time dimensions. <laughs> I fucking and- love it. And as soon as he gets there, of course, starts dealing with horrible uh, hallucinations of his past. I love those. Uh, like we said, the, the, the sepia shots, I think, are really yeah. effective. You know, that's the thing, is there's a lot to be said for cinematography that really breaks new ground. But there's also stuff to be said for just cinematography that uses something pretty basic like those sepia tones mm-hmm. or like when something like like how the lighthouse last year was shot in black and white, you know, like. Oh, the, lighthouse. The, the the perfection of a simple and straightforward thing. That's like the that. only simple and straightforward thing about the lighthouse. You are right. <laughs> Good lord. The uh, lighthouse I, I made me feel a lot of emotions I never necessarily want to feel again, and I I don't think I ever need to watch it again. <laughs> now you know how I felt about Mother when we talked about that a few weeks ago. Honestly, that's fair. Um, I I, I do want to rewatch the lighthouse, but uh, but anyway, like. I, yeah, I, I think it's just really beautiful work of, mm-hmm. in sepia. I like that it's I, I like that it's some reuse of footage from those older movies, but then intercut with newly shot stuff that I think the sepia helps them smooth that over. Yes. I think the sepia helps them like smooth those cuts over mm-hmm. and it's really effective. You don't even think about it. It's so fucking seamless. I I love the weird like borrowing from other genres that some of the shot direction has. Mm-hmm. In this, uh, like that, that one scene with Isabella, that that low shot, that that is just straight horror. Yeah, it's just straight out of a slasher film, and it's terrifying Absolutely. and great. Yeah, yeah. But th- that's one of my favorite shots in the movie, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she's just wearing that. 
It's a horror shot, but she's wearing that vibrantly green dress and everything is just like aggressively neon green. It's terrible. Which, which is not a horror color usually, but you like you know the shade I'm of green I'm talking about. It's it's not like lime green. It's just like it's what it's a it's a pool table nightmare. It's it's what if Hulk's skin was oversaturated three hundred percent? Like it's just. Uh. It, it's it's just like virally not virile. Uh, it's violently unpleasant. Is what I was looking for. Terrible. I yeah. It, I I don't like looking at it, but I love the fact that it exists. It, it's it's so. Uh, yeah, so there's that. There's also um, talking about the animator guy. His little bit of influence is those the, those visual touches where like the transition through the world. You know, it, it's not as seamless as it would be if it was like CGI in a movie mm-hmm. now. But it's it's. These animated bits where things around him in the environment sort of melt into... It's a smoke effect that predicted those Starbucks commercials that are slow motion of milk being poured into coffee where you can, like, see the clouds of milk billowing down into the coffee. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, yes. That, that kind of visual. It's it's these, like, smoky visuals that look like that. Just... Mm-hmm cascading around Georgie whenever he's sort of moving between spaces that I just fucking love. Uh, If you told me that Starbucks lifted their ads from that, I would believe you. So, this movie is really good. Correct. This is one of the... but And I'm saying this and you're like, correct, because obviously it's really good. Mm. But people at the time also thought it was really good. Um, this, this This was a commercial... This was a critical darling. And mm-hmm. yeah. a commercial success. This was yeah. this movie was good. What this movie did not do was completely make its budget back. No, it did not. This is because Laz went incredibly over budget. Possibly, I think, out of spite for the backlash he got for how political his last movie got. And this was the last straw for a lot of studio execs with him. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna have to talk about this here and next time. Like, like it's... So, this took an extra year to make. I think that extra year also put a lot of strain on that relationship. uh, Because the studio execs didn't want... Like, like they had been relying on that every other year money pretty reliably for a minute by then. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah, then you have this blowing it out of the water, I. Let me hold on. Let me let me look up a number real quick. So, uh, same year, Return of the Jedi comes out. That movie had Ooh. a thirty. Yeah, that movie had a thirty-two million dollar budget, grossed a worldwide total of around four hundred seventy-five million. I don't know how much. Um, I don't know how much the Purgatory bureaucrat grossed offhand, but I know its budget was forty-two million. <laughs> And Which or I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The amount he spent was forty two million. I believe the budget was around thirty six. Yes. That's Kirsten. That's several extra millions. Yes. And again, like this movie made money back. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. It just didn't make that much money back. At least not immediately. Yeah. I'm sure in the long term, like this movie has made itself back in spades. Oh, sure. But at the time, you weren't making... People knew at this point that you weren't making Star Wars money with the Marmoset Chronicles. Yeah. You were making the Marmoset Chronicles movies. Oh, my God. The Marmoset Chronicles money with the Marmoset Chronicles. Yeah. 
And, oh boy, that there there is some- have you read that interview where, uh, George Lucas, like, like isn't insulting Las Patello, but he is? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the one where he's just like- which is so funny now, in retrospect, because one of the things George Lucas says there is, maybe the man just needs some more oversight so he can have some- I, he says something about, like, uh- it's something to the effect of, like, I'd say you should keep Laz Batillo on a leash, but he'd spend, uh, he'd spend three weeks debating over what color the collar should be and whose trauma it should represent, or something like that. And it's just, and he laughs and the interviewer laughs, but holy shit, is that a fucking vicious burn. Like, wow. Yeah. And And then also to hear George Lucas roast someone else for not having an oversight in this uh, a post-prequels world is fucking <laughs> hilarious. Also, just, like, that's aged very poorly just because of the public image of both yeah. of these men. Yeah. L- Laz, at the very, like, like people say a lot of negative things about Laz, but, like I said, the one thing Laz has always been really, really good at is keeping this integrity of his artistic vision. Yes. You know who's not good at keeping the integrity of their artistic vision? Uh, well, I don't know what you're talking about because according to the man himself, everything in every iteration of the Star Wars DVD releases and everything has been part of the original vision. Every time. Yep. Th- t- uh, a CGI big dinosaur horse pooping in the background of Tatooine, all part of his original vision. I'm so glad I'm not super into Star Wars fandom. It's not great, let me tell you. Yeah. The the, the nice thing, Star Wars, more than anything else, taught me that canon isn't real. Nice. It's not. You, you, you like what you like and you care about what you care about. You engage and relate to what you engage and relate to. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I got a segue. Something I want to talk about is what you brushed on earlier. I've always thought of it as sort of a, like, you know, skinwalk like time skinwalker. The 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 thing what does the kidnapping and what wears the identity of Paul Harris and some mm-hmm. others. I fucking love it. So it's like so good. L- let's really dive into this. Cause like I you know, other Wait. than and the mountain came to them, there hasn't been before this movie that much of a directly supernatural presence in this series. Can I just Really fast. Do you know what this this the that the creature's called in the credits? Oh god, I forget actually. It's called the horror. Okay. <laughs> it's a little little edgelord of you there, Lassie, but alright. <laughs> it's like a horror because it's like horrifying and shows you horrors. Okay, it's but yes. Horror. There has not been that much um, allusion to this, like, greater supernatural force in this universe, but at the same time, it doesn't feel completely out of left field. Yeah, it, it feels very natural. Like, it it feels like this, you know, much like the sort of gradual introduction of the supernatural stuff in, in The Mountain Came to Them feels natural because of how it's introduced. This feels very plausibly like it can exist in the same universe as that. It gives mm-hmm. you, like... You know, they're not saying, oh, and actually the family from that were from this. But it, it it just feels like it exists in the same space in a very organic way. Yes. And you can, as soon as, like, this, like, supernatural force enters, you're just like, okay, 
this kind of marries a lot of concepts that were brought up in the earlier ones. Oh, yeah. With, you know, the weird out-of-time city and the either sudden-onset psychosis or vampirism of his father. And then all the weird little... And then you're like, oh, this is what this world is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, a lot of things start to fall into place. Like, there is a sudden perceived, like, cosmic brokenness to the universe of this entire series of films that this suddenly sets into place. And and I, you know, I, I still go back to the rest of this whole series and watch them and, like, keep an eye on different things and wonder... Is this is X thing in X movie supposed to be an early indicator of what this movie's getting at about the universe in which all of these take place? Yeah. In that it is it is just in some way like cosmically, temporally fucking shuffleboarded. Like yes. it, 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 it's so cool. <laughs> I fucking love it. Yeah, and, and you know, like, like talking about the horror, it it, it shows up wearing the you know, wearing the identities of these different beings from Georgie's life. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the, uh, this is like, in my head, it's it's a little bit Guillermo del Toro. Whenever it sort of, the horror doesn't leave a scene. It kind of disassembles itself from a scene to the best, to the best degree that it could. And it's like, its clothes all fall to rags and the thing underneath is just kind of shapeless and you don't get much of a shot of it because, again, it's obscured by the, uh, you know, that same sort of milk-through-coffee effect. Like, and, and then, like, which kind of leaves you with the implication that it's still there. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe it was always there. I, I, I think it was. Like, I, to right yeah, now, I'll tell no, you right no, now, I think I, it is. I totally think it was, too. I, I think that this was Laz's intention from the beginning. Yeah, abs- oh, absolutely. The image of this thing was in Laz's head from the moment he started working and, on The Phantom and the Red. And, okay, so so then you watch, you go back and you watch, like, interviews with him, like, before this movie came out. And, like, people will ask him about things and he'll get this, like, weird little, like, smile expression on his face. And I wasn't able to place that until I started DMing a lot of tabletop games. Hmm. Where yeah, (laughs) I totally see what you're getting at. (laughs) Where sometimes, sometimes you have like a plot point or a twist or a reveal, like, and you have this plotted out from the beginning, and you know that your players are playing directly into your hands. Yeah, exactly. And you're like, oh my god, that's so fun to think about. I never thought about this way for Laz. That rules. And and, and you're like, and and you have this moment where you're like, he 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 he. Not only did I guess what you were going to do, you did it. You bought into it, and you have no idea what I'm doing. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Like. Yeah, I I love that. I God, I fucking love thinking about that now because that, that's got to be such an incredible sense of payoff for Laz. Yes, Holy shit. So you've got that. You've got the the you know like skipping ahead, but the whole final encounter where it does what uh what decades later Annihilation ends with and does when Georgie is faced with it turning into Georgie and. That line I dropped there at the start of the episode, uh-huh. it's kind of ambiguous which one is delivering it. And I fucking love that too. Because <laughs> it it sort of makes sense. Because like, if, if it's Georgie saying it, if it's real Georgie saying it, 
One, I love that they were able to really fluidly do a shot of two of the same actor looking at each other. I don't know how prevalent that kind of thing was in the 80s, but in my mind, it's something that was still a little bit early and impressive to pull off. Mm-hmm. I love that if it's Georgie delivering that line, then it's him getting a level of, like, aggressively self-reflective and kind of irate about it that we haven't seen before. And so that mm-hmm. feeds into the fact that this movie is some of the most direct character development he gets. Mm-hmm. If it's If it's the horror doing it, it fits right in line with how the horror talks when it's taking any of these forms, where it's like tr- like speaking like a human, but also like it's still learning what that means and like yeah. getting a little bit... Like the fact that it drops an F-bomb is a little bit its kind of thing because it, it's like getting a little bit angry with its own... Like not even angry. It, expletives are some like of the most instinctive human things once you learn those expletives for you to say mm-hmm. and so there's something about the way it incorporates those into its un- its imperfect imitations of these people that also fits really well it's ah uh, man i fucking love this movie <laughs> you know it's yes and it's awesome and and the fact that georgie's confronted with himself and, and like this thing doing a mirror image of him and he like essentially flat out rejects it he turns away yes which which is great it's great and also something that will come back to in the final movie yes it's great for what i think it sets up in the future i don't think you like what it sets up in the future but i do um i I do and i no i i i do and i don't i i have we'll get to it we'll get to it we'll get to it i want to be clear now I i do not hate the last movie i just it hits and it misses for me. We'll get to it. This is fair enough. Okay, so how do you feel about the ending of this movie? I like it. it it's a flavor of ambiguous where... I'm trying to think how, how well I like what it sets up in its own ambiguity. I, I think I like it. Because, you know, it, it it leaves a question in your mind, which is either Georgie has successfully saved Jean or... Georgie is now wandering along with a, a with, with the horror who has now taken the form of Jean after we think yes. the horror has been defeated. And yes. I, you know, I like that a lot. I do like that ambiguity. Yeah, no, I, I guess my answer is yes. Sorry, I, okay. I know it's a roundabout way of saying yes. Okay. No, absolutely. And I... Do you? Um... I like it on an intellectual level and I don't like it on an emotional level. I don't like it on mm. an emotional level because it hurts me because I, I, I do suspect that that isn't Gene and I really like Gene as a character. Right. And it like makes me sad that he doesn't rescue his friend. He instead rescues the villain who may have orchestrated every bad thing that's happened so far in these movies or maybe yeah. or maybe they didn't. Hard to tell. Either, I, I, that that's a thing I love too, is yeah, it, it's either it orchestrated those things or is kind of just a product of them in a way. Mm-hmm. The, the question is, what what was born from what kind of, right? Like, yeah. it, it's it's very much that kind of narrative, which I, which I think is I think it's just and fucking superb. Yes, it's great. I, this movie is great. I, I, think, I feel like we've just been talking about how great this movie is for about uh, 40 <laughs> minutes Oh my god, we're at, like, episode length already. I feel like we just got started. Yeah, well, and, Um, uh, so is there anything else we want to talk about as we kind of near where we usually wind down? Not not explicitly. Um, I'm trying to think if there's... 
Um, anything from those good old behind the scenes videos on this one that's particularly worth talking about? I guess, I guess, I don't know, I, I already mentioned the like inner cutting of old footage with new footage and how seamless that is. There is mm -hmm. some really good um, insight into how they did a lot of that that really shows yeah. you what doing that was like in the 80s, what mm -hmm. that process was like in 1983 versus now. I, I find fascinating. Uh, you know, like as someone who my job involves me using video editing software, I find mm -hmm. that nitty gritty more interesting now than ever, honestly. Oh, yeah. So if you if you've an interest in that kind of stuff, there's some really they also go into how the um, the animated bits filter in and how they were able to make them look as smooth as they did into the rest of it. I think that stuff's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Um just, just I, 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 I don't know. I just I just really like this one. I, I yeah, I, I think it's great that. I like the surprise of Georgie having more of a direct role in the story in this yes. one. And I like that that surprise feels earned. And, like, yes. it has weight. Yep. And I guess, like, you know, given sort of meta stuff to talk about on this one, Laz and his relationship with movie studios has absolutely and completely soured and I think will never, ever, ever recover. Laz still hates the 80s. There is a lot of just scathing critique of the Reagan era sort of embedded in here and we're barely into the Reagan era yeah in, in uh 83 but Laz knows Laz can feel it and yep. uh there's a lot of really scathing stuff about perception of wealth and you know the kind of conservatism that Reagan came to represent it, it, it's there. Uh, yeah, I, I, I won't, absolutely. I won't give you guys my thesis on it because it's really long and would and would require a lot of nitty gritty scene analysis, <laughs> and also is kind of emotionally exhausting to talk about. Yeah, uh, as the Reagan era is in any context. And uh, I, I, I like, I like real quick. I like how the wealth thing comes up when we are seeing bits of. Um, I, I like how the wealth stuff comes up in Obstacle Core, where they're in the bank vault again in the boat that that they that they're brought back to in that movie. He's he's there again and just like the the the, the way the like cartoonish Ducktales esque piles of money oh, yeah. uh, crumble around the horror as it comes back to sort of encounter him there. Yeah, like. Like, it's melting into coal, which is this almost, like, Studio Ghibli-esque visual. Like, ah, uh, yeah, it's sorry. I, <laughs> I'm just gonna gush about every scene in this movie. Yes, but that's not what this is for. Uh, this no, definitely, it's not. And you can, like, you can feel this, uh, I, I think you can feel this movie, uh, honestly, on a lot of Nolan movies. Christopher Ooh, Nolan movies. Sure. Uh, I, I think... One of my favorite movies of all time that isn't a Marvel set Chronicles movie is Inception. Uh, yeah. You can you can really feel kind of this movie in Inception, and uh, I imagine that new Christopher movie, Christopher Nolan movie that maybe will get eventually if the world ever stops being crazy. Um, uh, but you can feel this movie on a lot of other movies. A lot of other movies have tried to do th what this movie does, but worse. This is there's a reason that this is like. People like this movie as much as as much as they do. I I uh yeah. Do you know what uh do you know what people refer to the like general path through time and whatnot that Georgie takes into this movie as like like they, they refer to it as like a physical road. They just call it the cosmic rope ladder. Like there's a bunch of forums <laughs> where you can where you can see them like talking about oh, the cosmic rope ladder. Oh 
my god, wait, that was that was the name of a fan forum for a while, wasn't it? Yes, it was, yeah! Oh my god, I yeah. remember this, but this was like, this was like pretty early, like, this was like, you know, kind of peak live journal era, so I was mm-hmm. a little bit young for it, but I yeah. totally remember it existed. Mm-hmm. I was like You're not... a couple years younger than me, I think I was just old enough that I, I had been on it briefly a little bit. No, that uh, that was like, that was one of the first, like, big, f- like, fan sites that was shut down. Do you, do you remember that whole, like... That, like, early 2000s, I, like, early internet fan scene. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, it, it was it was taken down because, uh, I believe it was taken down specifically because, like, one rogue studio exec found out that the, like, top banner on the forum was using, uh, it wasn't even the Mar- I, I think it was a copyrighted always bring a rope ladder, like, poster or something, a promotional image. That, that that it used. That's what they say, uh, unless you subscribe mm. to the conspiracy theories. <laughs> that I they always, that yeah. they like leaked some kind of like footage of either Laz or the movies or something that like was not necessarily supposed to be put out there. My, my favorite one of those is that uh, someone leaked Benjamin St. James's workout playlist, and for some reason he got so mad about that that he demanded it be taken down. Yes, that's that's definitely that's definitely one of the goofier <laughs> ones. I, I I don't know if I quite peg Benjamin St. James as being eccentric enough to do that, but I love the idea of it. Yes. Honestly, I, I do think that there's some merits to maybe somebody did like upload something that was not necessarily supposed to be uploaded but and i do think there's some merit to the idea that benjamin st james might also be pretty eccentric to yes his you're, this is very fair years. yes yeah huh speaking of 16 years it is going to take another three years for him to make the net the final movie after this I th- i'm sure we the emotional get into why <laughs> I, i'm sure the emotional journey of those three years felt like they were much longer than three years so yes uh we'll talk about that we'll talk about that next time with the last movie jay we've gotten to the yeah. last movie yeah, I, I, I'm I really ta- excited to talk to you about the last movie, but also, like, post-mortem about everything we've talked... It feels like a journey. Like, it's only been, like, six weeks, really, but it feels so much fucking longer yeah. than that. Also because we just picked a, uh, well, a heck of a time to start a podcast in, in, in our real lives. <laughs> yeah. But, like, and, and that definitely adds to it. But, like, seriously, we have, we have covered so much in these fucking movies... And I'm really excited to talk about the final one with you and do sort of a, like, post-mortem and we'll, you know, we, we've, yeah. We'll, we'll figure it out. I'm, I'm excited to talk about the final movie and talk about the movies in general after that. Absolutely. And, um... But for now, though, if is there anything else you want to talk about? No, I think we covered most of the things I, I feel strongly about this movie with. Um, that wasn't a well, good sentence, I'll... but yeah. No, uh... I, 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 yeah. All right. Well, Kirsten... Until uh, until that dramatic and probably really long next time, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can all find me on Twitter at Kirsten M. Writes, or you can find me on Instagram at Kirsten Me and Writes. Uh, on the Instagram, you'll find a lot more poetry and books, and on Twitter, you'll find a lot more nonsense. How about you, Jay? Where can they find you? You can find me on twitter.com slash extreme salsa-ing and uh, YouTube at Hi I'm Jay, which I'm not really doing anything on right now. Um, if you want to know more about why I put a vlog up just kind of talking about it, uh, it's not going away, just not really my main focus right now. 
Um, you can also find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash extreme salsing. Kirsten, you and I did a fun experiment the other weekend with a, yes. uh, a Star Trek and Storytime stream, um, which we didn't really promote very well, so whoops. But uh, we might, who knows? We might try streaming more things in the future. Who's yeah. to say? Whom is to say? I'm also on Letterboxd. I realize I should plug that on here because, hey, movies are fun. Uh, I'm also extreme salsing on Letterboxd, so if you would like to... Uh, Find my occasional opinions of movies. Uh, I've been trying to just watch more movies in my life lately. Uh, that is a place you can do that. Well, uh, I guess we'll see you all next time when we talk about the plot, the paper, and the place we all end up. Farewell, good day, good eve, and good night. Also, we're on the Orange Grove Podcast Network, and thank you very much for hosting us. We love you very much. Oh, oh geez, I forgot to say that. I'm glad you remembered. I've been paying for the tape. And I'm Joe. Sugar We're Going Down podcasting is exactly what it sounds like. Each week, we get a random Fall Out Boy song and discuss it in various ways, such as... What are its merits musically? Is it a bop? Does it have chugs? It's lyrical complexity. Sometimes Pete writes a triple entendre, and sometimes he doesn't even finish the first entendre. Does the video make any goddamn sense, though? Usually, no. How gay does it make us feel? Usually, a lot of gay. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your personal podcatcher of choice and get a new episode every Wednesday until it kills us. Caitlin, is this more than you bargained for yet? Honestly, it already is. 